I want you to open your Bibles to two passages of Scripture, which I want to reference to begin the message this morning. Our main text will come from Isaiah chapter 7. But I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15 and 58 first, and then I'm going to quote 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 to begin with. Now, my title this morning, I'm going to use a Chevrolet commercial that all of you are familiar with, you know, like a rock, because that's the way Chevys are made. They're made like a, a rock. Why are you laughing? You drive Fords? Like a rock, because the desired image that is formed in the minds of people who hear like a rock is that you got the idea of stability and strength. And when something is stable and not moved off course or not affected by elements, the wind, the rain, when something can withstand all of that, you have what we call being stable or established or firmly planted. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, if I might read that for you first, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Notice he began with that, be ye. It's not like somebody can be that for you or somebody can do this for you, but he says you, by an act of your will, a choice that you make, you be steadfast and unmovable. Because it seems from where I have looked over the years, from my little perch for the last 40 years, that a lot of folks meant well, talked well, but didn't do well. It didn't take a whole lot of events in their life to move them off course. It's like their relationship with God depended on if something happened. And if something didn't happen, despondency sets in and you kind of want to back up and give up. Your relationship can't be based on something other than God. It has to be all about him. Whether you get blessed or you never get blessed, it's got to be focused and grounded in the Lord. So be you steadfast and unmovable. Now, always abounding in the things that God gives you to do because though it may look like it's not working or nothing's coming of it, you're never laboring in vain. Now, in the other verse I wanted to reference also was 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, where it says, And may the God of all grace, may the God of all grace make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settled. Now, again, the picture is something that God does because this is what he wants in all of us. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be settled. He wants us to be established. All of these words describe the kind of person who has grown in the Lord and they're not going to be moved off course. What they believe and their relationship to God means more to them than anything else in the world. Anything. Now would you look in Isaiah chapter 7. Having said that, verse 9, an old familiar friend of ours, we've been here before. And he ends this ninth verse, for if you will not believe, you will not be established. One translation says, do you not believe? You don't believe? 
It's because you're not stable. It's because you're not established. Now, let's put that together. God says, if you will not believe. Now, believing, as you know, is an act of your will to take God at his word. Believing doesn't make the word true. You're not trying to believe the word of God will be true. It's true whether you believe it or not. It's given to you as an object of truth. And if you're willing to take it, then God will work it in your life and bring it to pass. You have a role to play when it comes to faith. Otherwise, we could never be judged because we don't have it. We're told to believe. He says, if you will not believe, if, if you are unwilling to believe, here's what it says, you will not be established. You're still nice, you're still kind, you're still a member of a church in good standing, or you're still a preacher, you're still that wonderful person that everybody loves, but you'll never be established. And it'll show up in your life by never being quite sure, never being settled, easily thrown into confusion or thrown off course and, and, and never always needing somebody to pray for you, help, like that. But he said, if you will believe, you will be established. Now, it's interesting in the Hebrew dictionary that the words believe and establish are the same words. The way it says it is the way scholars say it that's right. If you will not believe, you will not be established. This is what one dictionary says. It's a verb meaning to be firm. This is description of who you are and the kind of person God wants you to be. It's a description of a person who is to be firm, to be built up, to support, to nurture, or to establish. It has the idea of faithfulness behind it. If being a member of a church and being a Christian all your life, going to church, I did. If you are unwilling to take God's word as the basis, the foundation for the rest of the actions in your life, you will continue through life being easily thrown off course. You'll never be established because you're never stable. You cannot be stable if you don't believe. If you don't believe, you can't be stable, established, settled. And something else about that, unless you know what you believe and why you believe it, you'll never be established. I grew up in church learning that phrases and ideas, Jesus, heaven, the coming of the Lord, walking by faith, trust in God. I just learned that there are certain phraseologies that goes with Christianity and you just sort of adapt that. And you're a Christian and you say, praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven, hallelujah. Or thank you, Lord, I'm trusting God. He's all I need. He's all I need, we sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We sing those songs, memorize those songs, and feel good singing them. But then if that's true, then why are we so easily thrown off course? Maybe we're not grounded. Maybe the problem is we're not grounded. You see, unless you know what you believe and why you believe it, do you believe it because it's what we're believing right now? Do you believe it because you're a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or Episcopalian or something? Do you believe it because that's what our system tells us to believe? Well, you're believing what somebody else said, not what you really believe. To believe something, you have to check it out yourself. Faith is a personal thing. 
It's a result of a relationship between a man and God whereby the words of God dictate the life of the man. And you say, well, I'm going to do that because God said to do it. I'm going to count on God to do that. Can God lie? No. Well, I'm going to count on God to do that. So you begin to hold fast to him. Listen to these words in the New Testament about being grounded. I will tell you from my experience, I don't know about yours. In all the years I grew up in church and went to church and was a part of church, I don't ever remember being challenged to be grounded or even knew what grounded meant. I was just a part of a system, and whatever grounded means must be being in the system. The only teaching I ever remember in church was in Sunday school class, sometimes by teachers who didn't want to teach, but it was their turn. And so teaching amounted to, you read this verse, so what do you think about it? Okay, next, it's your turn, Johnny, you read, and then what, tell us what you think about that. And then next, it wasn't really teaching at all, but that's the system, and that's the way we did it. And so I never really knew what grounded was. I could walk away from my so-called Christian faith to do other things and never be bothered by it. I had no conscience or something. I would hear sometimes about one of the commandments in the Bible, thou shall not, but it didn't bother me to do it. I had no sense of relationship with God where I was bothered by violation of his word. It had never been drilled into me. I'd never been taught. It just never was a part of what I did in Christ, in the church. The reason that a lot of people give up easy and the reason that a lot of people are unstable and never quite sure and so easily made afraid of what's happening and what's going to happen is because they're not grounded in the word. Does your Bible say that he has delivered us from all of our fears? Then why are Christians so fearful? Because they are. They talk about their fears. They discuss their fears. They're concerned about their fears, about debt, growing old, pensions, Social Security. You know we're not going to get a Social Security raise this year? Big deal. Life isn't all about that. The new diseases going around, new threats around the world. Why is it that some of us act like it's no big deal because God will take care of us? Is it because we're grounded? If I'm not afraid of the latest forecast about the doom and gloom in the world because I have come to believe what God says about that, am I free from the doom and gloom? I am free. I know it's there. I'm not ignoring it. But I'm not affected by it where I'm, oh, what am I going to do? Because God has given me something as a solution for it. Not just wrote it in the Word and I've tried to memorize it, but it has become life. This word has become what I know will work. The Bible calls that life. Life through his word. Life in his words. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It's life. It's not life because we're sitting here with our arms folded half indifferent like I grew up, where nothing said has any effect upon you, but God has got a hold of your heart, and you're listening and he's saying something, and you know you need it. You don't know exactly why, but you know you need it. There's something going on on the inside. There's a stirring. And then God begins to give you things. Like Proverbs says, he gives you knowledge. Then he gives you understanding. Oh, I see it. 
Now my life is going to be determined and affected by this word. Oh, there's a coming whatever. And you say, well, the Bible says God has said about that. Now, I will either respond to one and be fearful, or I will hold fast to God and be fearless. It's my choice. How I'm faring at this age that I am now in my life is not dependent on what's going on in the world, but what after 40 years, what do I believe? Shouldn't I believe something 40 years later? And if I really believe it, shouldn't it work? There should be some evidence of it. You see, if you're not grounded, you'll be thrown off course. Oh, I go to a good church, I hear a good word, I listen to tapes, good. But if you don't believe it, you'll be thrown off course. Because the only way you're going to really believe things is you're going to have to be grounded. And the word grounded, it means to lay the foundation. Listen at these words that Paul wrote. He said that God wants to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, and he'll do that if. God will do that in Colossians 1.21. He will do that. He will present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable, just like Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.10. He'll do that if. I tell you what. Turn over there. Don't take my word for this. Don't believe a thing I'm telling you unless it's in the Bible. Colossians 1, verse 22, he will present you a certain way. All of that you really want. You want to be holy and unreprovable in his sight. In verse 22, what's the first word in verse 22? If. So if means I've got a choice to make. If I want what God says, this is how he's going to do it. If I do what? If we continue in the faith, how? Grounded and settled. Grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What if I said this? Every time any of you fall apart, it's because something is lacking in being grounded in the word of God. Now, See, that sounds rude and offensive. If you're religious, it does. That make you quit the church. But it's true. If we don't make a decision to continue in the word in a certain specific way, grounded and settled, if we don't, then we will at some point in our life be moved off course from the way of God because we're not grounded. And again, if you're going to be grounded, it simply means you're going to have to lay the foundation of something, and you're going to have to build on it. But that's the way it works. God, is at the beginning, I said in 1 Corinthians 15 and, and in 1 Peter 5, God wants us to be, in our testimony, a certain kind of unwavering, well-established saint. Not religious, not I belong to a church and always have, but I am one who has a relationship to God, one to whom his word has come, has been received, has been dealt with and assimilated, those are nice words, and has come to the place where the Holy Spirit has made real to me the meaning of these words. I have determined as an act of my will to take that word as given to me as a word from God to establish me, to keep me in 
the faith, to keep me from falling apart, to fear no evil, to not be afraid of tomorrow, to not be afraid of growing old, and not be afraid of all the things that are forecast today. God changes you in such a way that people wonder about you. Sometimes they say, give us a reason of this hope that you have. What is it about you that makes you so confident? You never seem to fall apart. You never seem to get tore up. You're always steady. It's because you say, and you have to watch how you say this because they'll think you're proud. Well, I have been grounded in the truth. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So if God, as he said in Romans, if God be for me, who can be against me? If God is on my side, what difference does it make who is not? If his hand is upon me, what does it matter about anything else in the world? See, those are only Bible words, church words, unless they get settled in your heart. And once they get in your heart, they get in your life, and that's the way you become. You become that type of a person. Why is it then that church folks are so easily deceived? I was a church folk. My whole family was church folk. My daddy was a Catholic. I guess that's church. My mother was a Protestant. and We were deceived, easily deceived. There was little meaning in Scripture. Our lives were determined by very, very little of what the Bible said. It was seldom ever taught. But we were... Christians because of association with the church, been baptized in water and all of that, then why is it that we're so easily deceived? Let me tell you why. Christians fall apart and are fall away and give up so easy because they have no R-O-O-T, no root within themselves. Remember the story of the sower and the seed? Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 21... Jesus describing the sower and the seed, he said this, and he said, the seed that fell in a certain place is descriptive of a person who immediately receives the word with joy. And man, we clap and we cheer. We shake his hand after church. And we're so glad you come to the faith. You're born again now, they say. Here's what Jesus said. Now, your Lord said this, yet... He hath no root in himself. He dureth or he endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises along the way, by and by, he is offended. Let's don't lose this. Let's hold on to this for just a moment. He said he comes to the Lord, hears the word, gets convicted, responds to it because he sees his need, comes forward in the meeting, raises his hand, whatever people do. He gets a hold of this thing for a while, studies, reads, goes to church, prayer meetings, and all of that. And like so many things, like so often, people take off quickly. Boy, they're just enthusiastic. They're in this church every time you meet for months. And then one day, things happen. You hear something you've already heard before, and you begin to lose some of that pop, the entertainment value is gone, and it's down to learning now and relating. 
And one day persecution arises because of the word. You've been trusting God, for example, he bore your diseases, and so you decided that you're going to start walking out your healing. You get your finger cut off, and you don't run and spend, what, 15 or 20,000 bucks to get it fixed, whatever it costs. I don't know what it is, or you hurt your leg, and you decide you're just going to trust the Lord. You're just going to trust the Lord. And people look at you like you're crazy. Wonder what they would say if we said, you mean you're a Christian and you don't trust the Lord? You mean you're a born again and you're afraid to trust the Lord? Don't you know that God will fix you? Why are you so quiet now? Because that's the truth. Is there anything that God cannot do? Does he say no to any of his promises? All of his promises are yes and amen. He is unlimited in his power. There's nothing he can't do. And he said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. Well, you can't believe because you're not grounded, and you're not grounded because you're afraid. You haven't been taught. Nobody's talked you out of your fears. I'm telling you the truth. And consequently, you got a person who is just religious now. He's in church. The sword and the seed. He's in the system. He's in a Sunday school class. He's given something to do. He's part of a committee. I remember this, but he has no root in himself. What does that mean? This means he's not grounded. He's not getting grounded. He's not really being fed the word. He's being fed a system, a religious system that is designed to make you comfortable and make you happy. And the preachers know that if you preach about this, you're going to make that one unhappy. And if you preach about that, you're going to make that person uncomfortable. So to make everybody comfortable and happy, let's just talk about being born again every week. That way everybody's happy. And we won't deal with people's sins. We won't let the word of God penetrate you like a two-edged sword and begin to divide asunder between what is of God and what is of the flesh and require you to crucify your flesh. Oh, no, that would offend people. So we don't do that. We hire us a preacher. We go get a scouting committee. We call them pulpit committees. And they go out and they find him a preacher. He made good grades in school. We offer him a nice parsonage. We offer him this. We offer him that. We're going to pay him a fee. We're going to hire him. We're going to buy us a preacher. And you know it's true. And he goes, hmm, I'm pretty costly. But I'll accept it. So for 10 shekels and a shirt, you got yourself a preacher. And he knows if he wants to keep his job, he better. And if he knows he wants that bigger church in five years, he better make this one grow. Because there'll be another scouting committee coming looking for him to go to bigger and higher ground. He's in it for himself. It's all about me, a job, and money, and prestige. Feeding people? What did Jesus say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs three times. Feed them. Feed them. What did Paul say to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20? He said, feed the church. Feed them. How do you feed them? You teach them. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So you feed people. You teach them. And you know when you're standing here, especially if you've done it a long, long time, you know not even a tenth of them got it all the first time they heard it. So you say it again. You just change the title. Now you know. 
And you say it again. Because the content is spiritual and it's divine and you want them to get it. And so you keep giving it to them. You feed. You feed. And you feed some more. And then you smack around on a little bit and you kick a few of them, jerk the hair. You know, like Nehemiah did, you pluck their beards and then you keep feeding them. You keep feeding people. You want this word to get in their hearts so they begin one day to come to church not expecting a nice little comfortable sermon. But I want to be challenged again because when I wrestle with myself, something about God is getting bigger in my life. It's starting to have meaning why I'm here and what this is all about. I'm beginning to see that this is my life. Because of the entrance of thy words, they give light and there is life in light. Oh, I'm beginning to see it a little bit now. I'm getting a picture here. So this man who is hired to preach, he doesn't feed his people. He can entertain his people. He can make his people comfortable. And every now and then throw in a little dig because there's always somebody digging back. He just does his little job so we can sing, Oh, come, 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 come to the church in the wildwood. Oh, come. And we got a nice little comfortable family church. Don't change it. And one day somebody comes in with fire in his bones. Fire in his bones. Has the audacity to smack that old pulpit. Everybody wakes up and he begins to say, you all need to be born again. We were 30 years ago. Yeah, you look like it. I can tell your life has really changed and the newness of life has come. You ain't no different than you were 30 years ago. There's no joy, no peace. You're still afraid. You still gripe and complain. You're belligerent, difficult. You're a pastor's nightmare. All of this got to change. You got to get their attention. You got to start feeding the people. Then we quote that verse, say, by and by, he's offended. See, the word offended is a word from which we get the word scandal, scandalazo. Scandal, the English word for scandal has to do with shame or some kind of conduct or behavior that has brought shame. But in the Greek, the word scandal means to cause to stumble, to cause to be offended. The word of God is not designed to make anybody stumble. It's not designed to be offensive. Is it ever offensive? Can you ever preach the word of God truthfully, accurately, and offend people with it? How can that be? They go to church. How can people be offended by the word? Tell a person like I was, sick my whole life. Antihistamines, I should have bought stock in the place. Pneumonia, lost a scholarship because of half of a lung removed. Sick, I grew up sick. I knew what sick was about. I could spell it, I could explain it. I talked about it. I knew what the disease was, I knew what drugs were. Can't remember the Bible, but I can remember all those drugs. Like folks say, well, I just can't remember the Bible. And yet you can pick up that thing you call on all the time, a cell phone and all the ugly stuff that goes with it. And you can master that thing, but you can't remember the Bible. Hogwash. I don't believe that. I believe it's all in desires. We get offended. We get offended easy. Because we know we're not right with God in some areas. We just don't want you to say it. 
it's almost like if you never talk about it, then we're all right. But if you start talking about our sins, tell a bunch of people who say they've been born again that based on the evidence of, of their life, as Jesus said, you tell a tree by its fruit, they've never been born again. They're the same old difficult, ornery, talking, mean acting person they ever were. They went to church, maybe got baptized. Nothing changed. They're no different than they ever were. They have other gods before them. They'll miss a lot of things instead of going to church. They're tight and stingy. Nothing's changed. Are they really born again? No. When you're born again, you're new. You're new. You're different. You changed. You're not the same person. Remember the song that I used to be? Something happened in my life. Now there is a joy and a hunger for the word of God. You don't have to tell me I need to be to church or you don't have to get on me. You get on me when I need it, but boy, I know I need more of what I've got. I'm poor in spirit. I need more. I'm not satisfied. I can miss it. No big deal. I need more. Because something in your life has changed. And you're not offended by the truth. I could say in the many years I've been here, I've seen a lot of people that if you didn't tell them the truth, they would be offended because you backed off. I want to know what it means. One of the greatest understanders of Scripture I ever knew got in a lot of trouble with other scholarly so-called people. You know why? Because what he taught, he explained it. We don't mind you talking about your faith, just don't explain what faith is. We don't mind you talking about... Having the joy of the Lord, just don't explain what that really means and how that really works because people realize then they don't have that and they're offended by it. Tell us all we're all right. Didn't know what Isaiah, didn't they say that in Isaiah's day? Preach to us smooth things. Preach illusions. Make it up. Doesn't have to be true. Just make up stuff and make us feel good. They said, get you out of the way of this holy one of Israel. That bothers us. Come on, man, go back to something else. That's the nature of man who is religious and not saved. That's why he's easily thrown off course. He's not grounded in anything. He has opinions about God. His religion is a religion of perception. He perceives God to be like this. His theology is, well, don't you think? Well, I wouldn't think God would do that. Well, don't you think, God? And that's what he lives by. It's not what the Word says, but his ideas and perceptions. He's easily thrown off course. He's easily tossed this way and tossed that way. Jesus said to his disciples one time, he said something, and the people murmured. And he said to them, does this offend you? Did Jesus ever preach anything wrong? And people heard him preach something there in John 6. And we came all this way to follow him. Jesus said, are you offended because of what I said? Now, if you're offended at something, he said, where's the wrong at, in him or you? Us or him? It's in us. There's not a soul in this room that hadn't been turned off at least once or bothered once by something you heard in church. <laughs> I've turned on the tape lots of times and turned it off. Didn't hit the pause button, hit the stop button. And I think, wait a minute now, come on, because I'm doing that. Somebody called you and told you I was coming. That's why people often quit. 
They take this all personal. They take truth as a personal attack. Can you imagine truth being a personal attack? Truth is designed to make you free, to awaken you out of your complacency and indifference, not offend you. If the truth of God offends you, well, you're in trouble. Jesus said to the people in John chapter 8 three times, he said, why is it that you want to kill me because I tell you the truth? I tell you the truth and you want to kill me. Now, we wouldn't think of killing anybody today, but I tell you the truth and you want to throw rocks at me? I'm not saying that to you. I'm just... <laughs> See, I tell you the truth and you want to throw rocks at me? I tell you, you shouldn't dress like that, girls, and you get offended? I tell you, boys, that you shouldn't hang out some places you hang out and act the way you act, and you get offended, and it's become a personal attack? What's wrong with you? Or tell you you shouldn't go certain places, or, or tell you that you shouldn't date and get all up close and personal, and you get offended? Well, everybody does it, and they're right. Let me see. Chapter 7, if everybody does it, it's okay for Christians. Hezekiah 6, verse 4. Why would you be bothered at the truth? If I tell you that some of you miss church far more than you should because you put other things first, why should that offend you? It's true. I wouldn't expect you to say, oh, boy, I'm mad now. I'm so glad. I know that. Or you complain all the time. You got a dismal attitude or you're always griping about something. And I point that out. Why should that offend you? We just showed you the truth. You can fix it now. If it's never told, you never get fixed. Or that girl you're living with or wanting to live with or that boy, whatever. In a bigger church, you get caught here real easy. And we're not supposed to say anything about that because that might be offensive. Well, of course it's offensive. It's offensive to God. But the Bible said to that guy, that sower in the seed, he said persecution came. And the Bible says by and by, eventually time came down the road. He just got tired of trying to hold on and he just quit. And I've seen it happen for 40 years. People are looking for a church where they can have it their way and nobody's going to bother them. That's what they want. They've never had their heart totally turned around by Jesus Christ. It's never been captured. Their heart has never become that dwelling place of Christ. It's never happened. And they're used now to getting something less than truth, like little Pharisees. But church folks, we just learned the phrases, heaven, Jesus, faith, believing, the tomb, and all those other little things in the manger. And we get all of those kind of phraseologies down in our mind. And because we can remember that, somehow or another, we're all right. But they don't affect our lives. They don't change us. We don't live that way. We just talk that way. I remember one brother I knew once. I haven't seen him in a while. But praise God, brother. It's the grace of God. We, you know, the grace of God. That is true. And he's right about that. Do you really know what grace is? You really know why grace is. Grace is favor. Like you get saved by the grace of God. You know, when you add grace upon grace and you grow in grace, it means that grace has something that advances you. 
There's things about your life that compel this grace to come upon your life. You grow in grace. And a lot of people do that, and yet you hear them working in the field something, and the words that come out of their mouth think, where'd you get that? You never gave that up, did you? I'm not saying necessarily a man is lost, but I'm just saying that nobody's told him you can't do that. You can't talk like that. Your testimony has to mean more to you than just you're expressing yourself. You belong to God. You're a child of his, a sojourner and a pilgrim down here, a living testimony of what Christ is like because look at the work he's doing in me. And you don't want to give that up. Were the Pharisees offended at the words of Jesus? When he said, you hypocrites, were they? When he located them, he said, you hypocrites. They said, oh, wow, thank you. We didn't know we were. <laughs> no, when he told them the truth, because nobody ever had, the little schools they went to, they're all good. They wanted to pick up rocks and stone them for the gall of telling us the truth about who we are. But the Pharisees who were offended at his word were like a lot of people today. James describes a look into the mirror of the word. You know, the Bible says, if any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, remember that? If a man is a hearer and not a doer, he is like, he is like a man who beholds his natural face in the mirror and he goes his own way, but he can't really describe himself, doesn't remember it. Well, people do that spiritually. They come and hear the word of God. They look into the face of it, and then they walk out of here, and it doesn't change their lives because they don't remember it because they didn't want to. They can remember cell phone numbers. They can remember birthdays. They can remember lots of things, but they can't remember what God said. See, that's why we're easily thrown off course as religious people. That's why church members are so easily deceived. Most of the cults, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, most of those people get their people from churches. Because church people don't know what they believe. They haven't been fed. They're not grounded. They're easily thrown off course. They're easily deceived. And that's a big problem. That's a terrible problem. If we're going to be stable, settled, and steadfast in what the Bible says, it's going to be like Paul said, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And then the two words that he adds to that, Rooted and built up in him. Rooted. Getting yourself in a place where I am going to follow Jesus. I still remember, I'll say it for the 10th time, no turning back, verse 2 of that song. I remember the time somewhere I was, and I said, will you do that? If nobody goes with you, if everybody disagrees with you, if they all turn away from you, will you still go on? I remember thinking, I will. <laughs> And so I proved it. And I'm not a standard, you know that. But there comes a time while you're sitting in those seats that you begin to realize that the opportunity you're being given is not everywhere. And this day may never come again. This one won't, 10, 10, 10 won't. But the day you're hearing what you're hearing now, the way you're hearing it, the anointing that's on your ears right now may not be here again. So this is a golden moment, you might say, to hear what God is saying now. And again, don't believe it because I said it. I'm not your conscience. I'm not God. I'm just a man like you are. 
You search the scriptures and see what they say, and you believe it because it's there. Now, I'm going to give you four things, four traits that will establish you. There's more than this, but these are four basic things that I see will establish you and make you firm and ground you in the faith. Number one is the fear of God. The fear of God. Many of the great men in the Bible were described in what they did that their greatness is noted about. They were described as being in the fear of God. Abraham, Noah, moved with fear and prepared. Abraham raised that night to say that boy, and the angel said, Do thy son no harm, for now I know thou fearest God. Then there was Ezekiel. There was Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Job. In the New Testament, there was Cornelius, the midwives of Egypt. The Bible describes their actions all about move with fear, or they feared God. The fear of God is always an attitude. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. The fear of God is foundation. It's the number one point in all sermons. <laughs> it could be. It's the one thing that you must have if you're going to walk with God, anybody, anybody. You must have an attitude towards God that he is altogether right, and in any disagreement, you are altogether wrong. That he has the final say, and your life is limited to whatever he wants, for he makes the final judgment, and therefore, you must submit yourself to God in all things. Our God is a consuming fire if you need help. Well, we don't serve him because we're afraid of him. Do you serve him because you treat him like a good guy? Look at the way people talk about God today. Well, I don't think God would hold it against me just because. God understands. We're just in the flesh. We can't help our weaknesses. I mean, we're laden with weaknesses. We're human beings in this world. You can't just do right all the time. You can't live with the Sermon on the Mount. Who can live by the Sermon on the Mount? if it's ever taught, crucifying the flesh. Come on, what's that really mean? That's something Jesus already did for you, no? Taking up your cross daily and following, come on, who can do that? Well, these are some of the things that the Bible says. These are things that God says. If you fear God, your attitude towards God is right. Well, let me show you a verse of scripture in Jeremiah. A verse of scripture that shows you the impact of the fear of God as God gives it in your heart and what it produces in your life. Jeremiah 32 and verse 40. Jeremiah 32 and verse 40. God says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Now that's a long time. You talk about assurance of your salvation. I believe in assurance of salvation. I do. He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. I will do them good. I will not turn away from them to do them good. But he said what? I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Now there it is. It's either in there or it ought to be in there. Listen to what God said. 
this is a covenant that I'm going to make with you folks. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm going to put my fear in your hearts. My fear, the fear of me, a respect and awe of me, of who God is. Enough of the jokes and the funny little things about God. No, 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 no. God is the big deal now. He's your life. He's a living person now in you. He must increase. You must decrease. Come to be like Jesus we sing. To be like Jesus all I ask is to be like him. You ever sing it? Did you mean it? Okay. And so he says, I will put my fear in their hearts. And what will happen? We call it eternal security. The doctrine of eternal security. This is it. God says, I will put the fear of me in your heart and you will not depart from me. You'll be here when I come. You'll hear my voice in your grave if you're dead, but I will come and get you because the life you lived was lived with respect, regard in all before God. That's what the fear of God is. That's what makes us live like we live. I'm not going to do anything else. The other day I said something just lightly I didn't need to say. And by the time I got home, I hadn't even thought about it. Got home and at just one moment I was not doing anything and that came back to me. You shouldn't have said that. And it was like, ooh. All I could think was, God, I, I, oh, I am sorry. I'm sorry. My foolish and ignorant mouth. Forgive me for that. It wasn't a really big deal, but God makes little deals big deals when they're not holy deals. He wants you to be holy. You put a watch over your mouth and guard the door of your heart lest you offend God. And you fear God, and that's why you would repent of certain things. In Proverbs 3, in Proverbs 8, and in Proverbs 16, the Bible says, by the fear of God, we depart from evil. That's why we turn away from evil. The Bible says, by the fear of God, men depart from evil. In Proverbs 16 and verse 6. Another thing about the fear of God is that it comes by hearing. Teach the people the fear of God. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 4. In verse 10, in Psalm 34, 11, he says, Come and hearken unto me, you people, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You know what that means? It means I will teach you who God is. You will begin to see him, especially in his attributes. All the things that describe God, his omniscience and his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and, and you begin to look at all of this. Revelation comes to your heart by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. And you find yourself going, oh, God. Not everybody has this happen, but some do. These are the ones who live like, oh, God. And the Bible says they will never depart from him. They'll never fall away. They'll never fall aside. They'll never be indifferent. They will have that loving relationship with God the rest of their life because of the impact of what God means to them. That's one thing, the fear of God. Secondly, is the will of God. How could you be faithful? How could you live right without knowing the will of God? Without knowing the will of God, you cannot be steadfast in all things. For example, is it God's will to heal? 
Well, there's a lot of people that aren't. So what's the problem? Is it with God? I would have to say it's with man. There are lots of reasons people's faith doesn't work. You know that. There's lots of reasons why what God has promised does not work for us or has not worked for us. Sometimes people are under a curse. Did you know that? There's lots of ways curses come. But without being taught or we never get concerned about it, we just think, well, God said he would, and I know he could, and I know he has, and apparently he doesn't want to in my case, and therefore, blah, 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 blah. No, sir, there's always a reason. God doesn't give you a promise and then say no. But he does put conditions on all of his promises. But a lot of people are never sure. They're never sure about the will of God. Is it the will of God that I be broke, have sufficiency, or prosper? Is it the will of God that I be the head and not the tail? Should I be successful? What about people in poor countries? Is God limited by a country? Is God limited by a culture? The problem in poor countries is what they've been taught for generations. They're under a curse. They have rejected the living God and they have turned to idols and the doctrines of men. You've got to know the will of God. There's one reason in Romans 12 why he said your mind is to be renewed. You know what it is? Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's all for that. You've got to change your way of thinking so you can know what God's way is. How could you be stable otherwise? Thirdly, there has to be an honest evaluation of yourself. We don't do this much. But you're never going to be committed to a change in your life until you have evaluated your life and seen the deficiency in your life and the need for change. When you fall apart and break down too easily... You can't get along with other people. You're hypersensitive. You're not a credit or a blessing to anybody. How many of you know there's something wrong with you? Unless you fear God, you won't fix it. Unless you know the will of God, you won't know how to fix it. But you won't even attempt to fix it unless you realize that you're guilty. The Bible says examine yourself. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Prove your own selves. You do that. Are you in the faith in this room? Are you Christian? Are you devoted or committed to God to live on his terms? That's what Christianity is. It's living on his terms, isn't it? Are you willing? If you look back just this week, just look back here. The last week, decisions you've made, choices you made, actions you took, things you said, does anything need to be changed? Well, you'll never change it unless you say, you know, I can't believe I said that or did that. Well, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Who are you counting on in your life to bring you through? Are you counting on God or are you counting on something else? Examine yourself. Look at yourself and prove yourself. The psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Didn't he say that? You know he did. 
And you know it was in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart and know my thoughts. Lamentations 340. Let us search and try our ways and do what? See, you know the song. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. But let us search and try and prove our ways. Are you a Christian? Are you living like you've been taught? I know we struggle. We all do. God knows that. That's in the Bible too. But there's always this desire to do right. This conviction to do right. Paul wrote, let a man examine himself concerning the communion. When it comes time to partake of that, he said, let a man examine himself and so let him take of the bread and the cup. You better check yourself out and make sure that your heart is really right, that you really do believe what this is all about, and you really are committed to living this way. It's a decision you have to make, and you say, boy, that kind of makes me feel, ooh, well, I think the Bible says that with fear and trembling we enter into the kingdom, don't we? And fear and trembling still there? Lastly, if you want to be stable, you're going to have to learn how to be grateful and praise the Lord. While you can say you praise the Lord, as I did years ago in first, second, and fourth stanza, I don't know why they put the third one in there. I don't remember ever singing those songs as unto the Lord. I remember sometimes in early in my Christian life, the songs I was singing, I was enjoying them because of the harmony. I enjoyed the sound. It wasn't the words anymore. It was the sounds. And you're living in a time in which a lot of Christian words are added to a lot of wrong sounds. Some of the music today, it's not your big fault with the words. It's the source of the sound. It's this change music. Oh, jibby-jabby music. You say, well, you're too old to know what good music was. I'm old enough to know what good music is. And good music ain't you ain't nothing but a hound dog. That ain't good music. Good music is he's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Good music is amazing grace. Good music. And you learn to sing those songs, not because others are or because nobody else. You sing it because I want to sing unto the Lord a new song. I want to make melody in my heart to the Lord because I have a new heart. I want to be like the psalmist said, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They shall still be praising thee. They're going to be praising God. God's people are joyful people. We are glad. I'm going to tell you something. And if you get offended by it, then forgive me and just say, well, he's getting older. Do that. It's far too many people come to meetings like this and never enter into worship, even just other than mouthing a few words. See, I would say, what's wrong with you? All of you young folks, you sang so well at that youth camp. Well, you're one of us now. You're not one of the kids anymore. I know we watch you grow up here, but I look at you now with hair on your face. And I'm thinking, you're big enough now to make some noise and some racket you did growing up. We tolerated that. Now we want to hear some good racket out of you. Amen. We want to hear you sing. We want to vacation Bible school. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful. We sang that song. I still sing it if somebody else would join me. I mean, if we'd sing it in the church. 
Giving thanks, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. Praising God for June 30th, 1968 in my life. The day my name was put in the Lamb's Book of Life. The day my nature changed. The day of new beginnings. It'll go on and on forever and ever. And therefore, it's so easy just to pause every now and say, I just want to thank you, Lord. I want to give you thanks for your grace and your goodness, for your keeping power, for your holding me fast, preserving me unto eternity. I believe in eternal security. I believe that everybody that God has laid hold of and put his spirit in are his. And you'll know it. They'll fear God. They'll worship God. They become loving. They become changed. They become different people. Everything changes. Well, how about you this morning? Are you like a rock? I'm like a rock, like a rock. I'm like a great big old rock in the house, in the house. Our God is a rock. And your anchor will hold when you get it on that rock. He is a rock that's a chief cornerstone in the church. And all the other rocks that are built up on him are like that one. Little images, little types. Christ-like stones that are being built together into a habitation of God. That's what we want here. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, make thy word clear to us. Make it have its deep, life-changing impact in us at all times. Forgive us for ever being weary of hearing it or going to a meeting, but cause us with glad-heartedness to ask and to seek your will and your anointing as we attend meetings and live our lives every day to rightly put your word to practice in our life. I pray that this morning you can look down upon us with joy, that you can look at us with joy and not with grief, that you are pleased that we call upon your name this morning, that you are pleased that from our hearts this morning we're crying out wanting more of you or singing that old hymn, More About Jesus Would I Learn, that we would have that, Lord. There's not a soul in this room this morning, not a single soul here, not anybody that listens or watches that doesn't have a need for more of what you give. Give us the maturity to reach out and receive it, and then the courage to live it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.